The following is a message from the pulpit of Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas, led by Pastor Mike Wells. All right, tremendous. Thank you for that. Take your Bible and go back, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 14, verse 23, I said would be our text verse. Let's look at it again together. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto the servant, uh, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Uh, next week, we have our big day, and I'd like to give attention to uh, some things concerning a big day. I'd like to give attention to some things concerning uh, that which I believe is probably the biggest enemy uh, in local churches around America. Uh, I want you to think about some things, if you will. Uh, I, I believe, uh, as far as an enemy, this particular enemy in local churches around America, uh, the Sunday school teacher hates it when it shows up. I believe that the preacher that preaches uh, hates it when all of a sudden he sees it there. I believe that soul winning churches, I'm talking about churches that really have a burden to see people saved, and you have a, a pastor, if you will, uh, that has a desire to see people saved. Uh, he hates it when all of a sudden he pushes for a soul winning attendance and this shows up. Uh, I believe that uh, when the offering time comes and a uh, pastor looks out knowing he's got a budget to meet, knowing that, uh, uh, and by the way, I'll tell you because I, I preach to preachers that uh, it's commonly known uh, that probably the greatest challenge uh, to uh, pastors around America is the finances because they're always wanting to do more. Uh, they're always having a desire to be able to see things go forward because we do have a burden for people to be saved and for missionaries to be sent out. Oh, but my, do uh, pastors hate it when this shows up. I don't believe that, uh, uh, that this can give God the glory, can show nobody love, smiles at nobody, helps nobody, gives, as I said, to missions not at all, surrenders never to the will of God, don't know what it is to grow in grace, doesn't know how to obey God. And I'm talking about that which is the enemy of the local church. What is that? I think the biggest enemy of the local church is the empty chair is uh, uh, that uh, people are not in church. You, you cannot go to the, uh, you cannot get help from the doctor if you don't go to the doctor. Uh, you cannot be able to be encouraged if you don't sit under uh, an encourager. You cannot be challenged if you do not la allow somebody to challenge you. I know this to be true, that uh, as I was coming up as a younger Christian, uh, I know that in sitting in churches and hearing Bible preaching, that it changed my life, changed my direction, changed the heartbeat of my life. Uh, it changed me as an individual. I would not be the husband I am today if it was not for the preaching of the Bible. 
I would have never been the father that I was to my children coming up if it was not for the preaching of the Bible. I never would have been able to help people through difficult times in their life if it was not for the teaching and the preaching of the Bible. I never would have become the counselor I am in helping many couples and helping many individuals as they go through distressful times in their life if it was not for the teaching and the preaching of the Bible. Uh, it's hard for a pastor, a preacher if you will, to preach to an empty chair. It's not encouraging. Uh, it's hard to motivate an empty chair because there's nobody in it. It's hard to teach to an empty chair because after all, they don't receive anything. It's hard to be a blessing to an empty chair because there's somebody missing that ought to be sitting in it. Uh, that empty chair, if you would please, helps no one. Uh, but that empty chair, if you will, could have somebody in it that eventually uh, could rise up and serve God. Uh, it could have somebody in it that would eventually become a Sunday school teacher, a bus worker, somebody that sings in a choir. I uh, could have somebody in it eventually that, yes, would even go to the mission field, uh, could be used of God in a marvelous way. Uh, but the problem is that there are some that just decide that they don't want to fill that which is the empty chair. You can take and put a drunk in an empty chair. God can save them and use them. You can put a prostitute in an empty chair. God can save them and use them. You can put somebody that's a drug head in an empty chair. God can save them and use them. Uh, the empty chair is not peculiar to the size of a person. You can put a child in an empty chair and God can save them and God can use them. You can put a teenager in an empty chair and God can save them and God can use them. Uh, it's not partial to that which is the gender. Uh, you can put a, a, a woman in an empty chair and God can save them and God can use them. Uh, you can put a man in an empty chair. And by the way, there is only two genders. But you can put a man in an empty chair and God can save them and God can use them. You can put anybody in an empty chair and God can save them and God can use them. But may I say, an empty chair uh, sits in many churches across America. I really, I really, uh, 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 sometimes I, I almost sit back, I almost sit back and just in bewilderment as to why uh, Bible-believing, teaching, Bible-believing, preaching, uh, Baptist churches across our land uh, does not have the pews filled. I just don't know why sometimes. I'll be honest with you. It's a question I can't answer. Uh, I, I think that uh, uh, somebody gets saved, they ought to want the truth, and I think that the place to find the truth is in Bible believing, preaching churches uh, that preach the word of God. And so it kind of bewilders me a little bit. These men know that because I've talked to them about it, uh, but it kind of bewilders me as to why there will be empty places in a Bible believing, preaching church. But can I tell you, an empty chair does not fill any type of purpose that God has for anyone. So why is it? Why is it that there's empty chairs across the land. Let me give you a couple reasons uh, uh, this morning, I believe. Because the cost is too high. Somebody looks at the cost of uh, serving God and they say, well, it's just too high. It's just too much. I just can't do it because the cost is way too high. Uh, the book of Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, the Bible says, if any man uh, come to me and hate not his father and mother 
and wife and children and brother and sisters yea and his own life also he cannot be my disciple now he's not saying that you hate if you would please there's a comparison here he's comparing his disciple with one that would love his mother or love his father you always ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ first and primary in your life by the way if you love the Lord God first and primary in your life he will help to enhance your love for your mom and for your dad. But when you get that out of order, uh, then sometimes you don't love him like you should. Our Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we understand that we ought to seek Christ first. Uh, if you seek him first, uh, can I tell you, it'll help your marriage. When you seek him first, can I tell you, it'll help you being the right type of, uh, of father. If you seek him first, it'll help you be the right type of mother. Why? Because you're going to him first to be able to give you wisdom so that you know how to conduct yourself in any one of those positions or other positions. As we draw close to God, God always directs us right. There's not one man, not one woman in this room that could stand up and say there was a day that I obeyed God and God led me down the wrong path. Uh, you could not testify to that. Why? Because God has never led you down the wrong path. God has always led you down the right path. So because of that, I think that uh, we ought not to look and say, well, I tell you what, I don't want to draw close to God because the cost is too high. I think that you and I ought to desire to draw close to Christ because number one, that's the will of God for every believer. Number two, it'll help you with all other relationships after you get close to God himself. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, chapter 11 and verse 28, the Bible says, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Here's a person says, well, I tell you what, I can't serve God because the cost is too high, but yet God says if you'll put me first I'll even give you rest I'll give you rest now uh, that's an unbeatable type of offer if a person would simply put Christ first Christ says I'll give you peace in your heart I'll give you rest for your soul I'll help you in every single one of your endeavors now that's a no-lose situation it's a win-win situation it's a win for you because when you put Christ first in your life he'll help you with every single thing that you've got going on in your life second off it's a win for everybody else now why is it a win for everybody else because when you put Christ first you're going to treat everybody else the way you ought to treat them so I'm saying this I'm saying a statement number one because uh, why is the chair uh, empty in churches around America Bible believing Baptist churches that preach the word of God why is their chairs empty because some people think the cost is too high oh they say I'll go to church on Sunday morning but I won't go back on a Sunday night the cost is too high I'll go to church on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night but I won't go back on a Wednesday night because the cost is way too high uh, I'll go and uh, I'll go to church but I won't tell anybody else about God because the cost is way too high can I tell you the cost is not high in serving Jesus Christ Edward Studd was a, a sporting type of fun person uh, he was a very wealthy man a matter of fact he he 
He uh, even did uh, a race horsing years ago. He won the Grand National one time. He had three sons that loved sports and they loved adventure. All three of the sons played cricket. The middle son by the name of C.T. was excellent. Matter of fact, uh, he was so good that everybody wanted him. He rose to be the greatest cricket player uh, that was there in the England area. One night there was a man visiting and uh, 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 an American evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was visiting. He'd set up a place for the meeting. And so it was Edward Studd that turned to his three sons and said, let's go down and hear the American evangelist. So the boys sat there through the meeting as recorded in history, and they were bored stiff. They wanted nothing to do with that teaching and preaching that Moody was giving that night. They couldn't wait to get out. They couldn't wait to go home. But uh, Edward Studd listened very carefully, and God uh, uh, touched his heart, and he saw his need of receiving Christ as Savior. And so uh, he had a, a private conversation with Mr. Moody, and then that private conversation in Moody's chambers, he bowed his heart, and he received Christ as Savior. His boys thought, this is just something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Daddy's just on a, a, a religious frenzy, and it's going to come, and it's going to go. He's been on other frenzies before, but when he came home, uh, the frenzy never left. Why? Because in that conversation with Moody as he bowed his heart, he received Christ as Savior. And can I say, when anybody receives Christ as Savior, it changes their life forever. And so he bowed his heart, received Christ as Savior, and it changed his life. He came back, and now he sold the racehorses. And uh, now he's starting to give a lot of money to be able to share the gospel around the world. And the boys knew that now it wasn't a frenzy. The boys knew that now it wasn't a passing fad. The boys knew that, hey, Daddy uh, must have uh, uh, really had an encounter with God. And so Daddy had such an encounter with God receiving Christ as Savior that he would go in and he'd read the scriptures to the boys at night. And uh, C.T. Studd would uh, pretend he was asleep along with the other boys. And, and so uh, he even got preachers to come to the house. But one day, uh, as the two preachers was visiting the house, trying to lead those boys to Christ, they took a corn cob, hit the rear end of the horse, and the horse took off. One preacher fell out of the uh, buggy. The other preacher fell in the buggy and was going down the meadow as it was running rapidly without control. But the preacher that fell outside of the buggy uh, followed uh, a CT stud down to where he's playing cricket. And he said, I want to ask you something. He said, do you believe the Bible? And uh, CT stud said, yes. He said, do you believe that God loves you? And CT stud said, yes. And he said, do you believe that God could save you? And he said, I, I do believe God could uh, save me. He said, but I'm not convinced uh, that God uh, could do everything that God wanted to do when it comes to salvation and changing their life. He said, then you're inconsistent. He said, you're very inconsistent. He said, you said you believe God. You said that you believe that God could save you. You said uh, that God could change somebody's life. And now you're saying that he, don't, he just don't believe that he could do all that. He said, you're inconsistent. Well, C.T. Studd said, I'm not inconsistent. He said, well, let me read you a verse. Read in John 3, 16. He said, what are you going to do about that? And he said, well, I don't want to be inconsistent. And the man pushed him, according to the records, and C.T. Studd fell to his knees that day and asked Jesus Christ to be a Savior. 
Oh, you say oh, that man shouldn't have pushed him. Oh, but the story goes on. Uh, after C.T. Studd received Christ as Savior, hey, uh, that day God changed his life and uh, uh, God began to work in his life. And uh, he was uh, at Yale University, became the greatest cricket player at Yale. And his two brothers got saved after that. I'm sorry, he was at Cambridge and uh, became the greatest cricket player at Cambridge. And his two brothers got saved there too. And then he announced that uh, I, it doesn't matter if I'm the greatest cricket player in England. He said, God's called me and I'm going to go to the mission field. Uh, he uh, gave all of his money to missions and he went in 1910 to Africa. And uh, then uh, after that, God used him in a, a marvelous way. Ten years first, I'm sorry, in China and then went to Africa in 1910 and he died in 1931. Now, wait a minute. Uh, he saw that the price was not too high. The cost was not too high. He decided, I'm going to give God everything. I think the problem with Christians today is we hold back and we hold back and we hold back and we say well, this is my part of my life and this is who I'm going to be and I'm saying all to Jesus I surrender I surrender all I think that you and I ought to decide no matter what age we are to give ourselves to Christ nobody ought to have to beg you to come to church and nobody ought to have to beg you to read your Bible and nobody ought to have to beg you to live for God you ought to decide the price is not too high. The cost is not too high. I'll give Jesus Christ. Oh, give us a nation where Christians begin to rise again and Christians begin to serve God again and Christians begin to say, I'll give Jesus Christ all that I have. And you step out and you serve God by faith and let God begin to work in your life. I'm saying uh, some people uh, uh, do not help to fill the empty chairs because they say the cost is too high. Statement number next, uh, because they say the the pain may be too great. The pain may be too great. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 23, the Bible says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. So the second man is called, and, uh, and uh, he says this in reply. He says that uh, uh, I, I'm just not willing to bear the cross. Now, by the way, all of us have cross-bearing. Everybody does. Some of you bear a cross because you're trying to live for God and your family's against it. Some of you have cross-bearing because you're excited about God and somebody's trying to pour uh, cold water on you. Some of us have cross-bearing because there's physical challenges. Some of us have cross-bearing because there's financial difficulties. Some of us have cross-bearing because of, uh, we have the energy and the mind to be able to serve God, but we just can't figure out how to serve God. And there's crosses that we bear. A crowd began to roar as this man ran around the bases. His name was Billy Sunday. They would come to watch Billy Sunday play because he stole more bases than anybody in the American leagues. He was the fastest man that was in the American Leagues. Matter of fact, they said that uh, you could line Billy Sunday up at a start line, take his cleats off, allow the other man to have cleats, and he'd beat him in a foot race, running barefoot. He was the fastest man in the American Leagues. 
One night, he and his five buddies were drunk, and they come and uh, came out of a tavern, and uh, they were sitting there. And uh, the story goes, a ragtag type of uh, uh, band came by, and they were playing a gospel song. And uh, Billy's mind went back to how his mama used to sing that same gospel song, and so he followed them down to that which was the Pacific Rescue Mission. And he went in that night, and he heard about how men uh, uh, were sharing their story and he heard about how men that were rich and men that were poor and men that were professionals and successful in life had wound up on Skid Row, but they met up with Jesus and Jesus changed their life. And after visiting several times, not that night, but after visiting several times, he bowed his heart and he received Christ as Savior. He was so glad that he got saved. Uh, for five years, he still played for the, uh, uh, the Chicago White Sockings after that. But then he entered into full-time Christian work, and he traveled around uh, America specifically. Had over 100 million people that was in his tent meetings. Over 1 million people walked down the aisle and received Christ as Savior. I've always wondered, uh, my, my, the, the two grandmothers I talk about, uh, they walked down the aisle uh, at, at a sawdust trail and received Christ as their Savior, the ones that raised me first six years of my life life under the preaching of Billy Sunday they walked down that sawdust trail and they uh, shook his hand received Christ as Savior as he handed them off to a counselor and they got saved that night and one of them was uh, nine years of age the other one was 12 years of age in 1919 and, uh, and bowed their hearts and received Christ as Savior in Baltimore Maryland uh, but, but I always wondered I always wondered I always wondered uh, uh, what would have happened Dr. Bachman if he would have surrendered right then was he still under contract for five years? I don't know. But I think of a man that preached to over a hundred million people, Brother Frankenstein. I think of a man, Brother Sherwood, that had a million people walk down the aisle, receive Christ as Savior. Oh, what if he would have surrendered if he could have and got out of a contract and would have served God five years earlier? Could more boys and girls get saved like my grandparents that adopted me for the first six years? Could more of them have gotten saved? I think sometimes uh, we uh, let the empty chair and we don't even sit in the empty chair when it comes to God's will because we say the pain is too great. I'm not going to go to the mission field. The pain is too great. I'm not going to uh, continue to live in Texas. The sun is too hot. Uh, people that move to Texas I always tell them this. I said, if you can make it through about two and a half to three months of misery where the sun's beating, especially if you're not used to it, then every, every, everything else year-round is pleasant. Somebody say amen, that way people believe me. <laughs> but can I tell you this? Can I tell you that we understand this? We understand that there is people that do not serve God because they say the pain is too great. And by the way, you do sometimes go through pain in serving Christ. Sometimes there is a sacrifice. Sometimes there's going to be people at work and they're not going to uh, think that what you're saying about Christ is right. They're going to stand up. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's October. I have to look it up. You can look it up on the internet. Uh, but uh, uh, two years ago, uh, there was a day when they said that our public school young people, it was a massive, massive push. Carry your Bible. Carry your Bible. The first year, they said that only uh, 12,000 young people in the public school carried their Bible the first year. I think it's two years old. 
because the next year 380,000 carried their Bible this year they're shooting for a half million by the way if you got your Bible this morning I'm not trying to embarrass you but let's just show the devil who's side warned you want to just for fun you got your Bible hold it up in the air would you do that hold your Bible up isn't that a good sight Man, I'm so glad that we have a church that uses the Bible. I'm so glad that we have a church that you can go back to the Bible and you can see what the Bible says. By the way, if you don't bring your Bible to church, how do you know that preacher's not preaching heresy? You say, well, I just know my Bible that well. No, you don't. If you knew it that well, you would bring it. Can, can I say this? Can I say that uh, the pain, people say the pain is just too great. The pain should never use. So I had to get up early this morning and drive for over an hour to come to church. Can I tell you, the word of God is worth it. It's worth coming to church when you hear godly singing. It's worth coming to church when you hear godly preaching. It's worth coming to church when you can shake somebody's hand uh, that's going to encourage you to go out and face the world, the flesh, and the devil and stand for God throughout the day. Can I tell you, church is worth it. May I say this? Uh, there are people that do not sit in the chair because the cost is too high. There are people that they themselves do not sit in the chair because the pain is too great. Brother Hilliard, here today, has cancer, doesn't feel well, but he's sitting right there. Good testimony. Uh, Brother Adams uh, has had difficulty in, in, in getting sick, and, and, uh, uh, but, but here, right here. Uh, Brother Davis uh, uh, it was here earlier. Can I say, uh, can I say this? Can I, oh, there he is, right there. He's moved his seat, but there he is. Uh, all right, but, but here. Can, can I say, it doesn't matter if there's physical problems. Isn't it so funny? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Here's what we do. We don't feel good on Sunday, and so we say, we're just going to let that seat be empty. But we will never let it be empty on Monday for work. Now, don't get mad at me because I'm just preaching. But don't you think that church ought to be more of a priority for you as a believer than that which is work? Don't you think that this ought to be important? There's a man uh, down in Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. When I was on staff there, he lost his hearing. He could barely see. Yet he still showed up for church. One of our teenagers came to him and said, why do you come? You can't hear. You can barely see. Why do you come? Here's what he said. I just want to show the devil whose side I'm on. You know, people do pay attention, right? Somebody knew you came to church this morning. Probably that nosy neighbor. Somebody knew that you came to church this morning. Uh, somebody, uh, you'll be able to tell somebody today as a witness, you'll be able to say, guess what I did today? I went to church. They're going to look at you and say, you did what? You go to church? You can be a help and encouragement to somebody if you just decide that the cost is not too great. Statement number next, uh, some people won't sit in the chair because the expectancy is too high. The expectancy is too high. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 33, the Bible says, So likewise, whosoever be of you that 
forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Well, you know, Lord, I can't serve you. You expect too much. You just expect too much. You expect me to do this, and you expect... Well, God always expects his leaders to live higher, if you will, closer to him than those that are just following afar off. You'll find out the closer that you get to God, the more he expects of you. By the way, that's the way that in businesses too. The higher you rise as a business entrepreneurist, the more you've got to give, and you always give more than your employees. Why should you do that in business but not do that for the Lord? Here's what it says. The Bible says, So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's not saying that, hey, everybody's going to go the mission field. No, but here's the question. Are you willing? That's not saying, every man's going to be a preacher. That's not saying that. But are you willing? That's not saying, well, I'm, I've got to go and take all the money out of my bank account and I give it to God through the church. It's not saying that. But are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do? I think the very day when we say, okay, God, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, but this right here, no. Because I own that. That's my piece of pie. You're not getting that part of my life. Well, you can't say that's full surrender. How can you say that's full surrender? Give you a last illustration, I'm done. He died at the age of 29. His name was David Brainerd. That's so funny. I traveled to the Philippines, and of course, I, I preach in different countries, and one young man came up to me, he's in the Philippines, pastors being greatly used of God. And I, I think he wanted me to say his pastor. I think that's what he was really, really pulling for me to say. He said, Brother Wells, who is, in your eyes, the greatest missionary that ever lived? Who is it? I said, that's easy. My hero's always been David Brainerd. Always. It's never changed. David Brainerd was a young man. He had a burden for the American Indians. And uh, he was a young Puritan. And he decided he wanted to go and obey God and go to reach the American Indians. He was an orphan at the age of 14. At the age of 21, the great awakening uh, crossed and uh, he got saved. He enrolled in Yale. By the way, Yale used to be a Bible college. That's the way it was started. It was what it was started for. So did Harvard. So it's uh, Cambridge. They were all started, if you know your history, as Bible colleges uh, to be able to give out the gospel. Matter of fact, Congress, one of the first acts of Congress was to put a Bible in everybody's hand, and Congress greatly... Uh, supported the American Bible Society back in the 1700s. But he was, uh, he enrolled in Yale. Uh, he was a cocky young man. Uh, in, in 1742, he was kicked out because he criticized one of the professors. He, he decided that that was wrong. He shouldn't have criticized. He tried to make things right. But the, the principal 
uh, the principle of operation at Yale was if you ever get kicked out, you could never return. And so the, the, the college stuck by their principle, and so he was never allowed to enroll even though he apologized. But uh, so he regretted that. He made a statement, I will never criticize anyone that's trying to maintain their Christian life again. In fall of 1746, uh, Brainerd all of a sudden started coughing up blood, uh, found to have tuberculosis. Uh, it was uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and of course Brainerd, you could read the story about Brainerd, and he would travel from village to village. He'd fall off the saddle, being so weak because of the tuberculosis, spit up blood. He kept a diary. It was all speckled with blood. He kept a spit tomb beside him when he would preach. The spit tomb beside him when he would preach was not for tobacco use. Uh, he wasn't a chewer, but he was a bleeder, and so he'd spit up blood in the spit tomb there. And so uh, they said that he would get up and preach and he could only preach 10 minutes and nobody's getting saved. Nobody, nobody's getting saved. One night he spent all night praying and the very first person that got saved was his interpreter. Uh, still spitting up blood, very weakened by the tuberculosis. He'd preach for about 10 minutes. He'd go sit down and his interpreter would finish out the message about 20 minutes in length, give an imitation. There was hundreds of Indians that received Christ as Savior. Now he's got tuberculosis. Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, preacher and orator, heard that he had tuberculosis and made him an offer. Said, why don't you come stay at my house? I have a cabin out back. We'll take care of you. Uh, my daughter, uh, by the the name of uh, uh, Jerusha. Jerusha is a nurse and she can nurse you back to health. Jerusha spent time with him uh, so much the so trying to nurse him back to health. She fell in love with him. He fell in love with her. She also died of tuberculosis just three months after he died because she contracted tuberculosis uh, from him. She died at age 18. Jonathan Edwards mourning his daughter and mourning uh, David Brainerd went into his room one night, got his journal speckled with blood. He decided to bring his journal in uh, to uh, put it in print, readable if you will, put it in all of the Christian colleges around to challenge young people to go to the mission field. And uh, there was young people that read it. Uh, there was William Carey that read it. After reading it, he surrendered to be a missionary. Uh, there was uh, uh, Henry Martin that read it, afterwards surrendered to be a missionary. There was Jim Elliott that read it, and afterwards surrendered to be a missionary. And so God did use the writing of his journal. And so uh, it was uh, William Carey that read that. And I don't know exactly the title of the book. I've heard several different uh, ways it was titled. One way I heard was Missionary Died Age 29, which he did. And anyway, uh, one day William Carey was bored, and he walked into a library. He saw that on the spine. He picked it up. He read it. God spoke to his heart about being a missionary. He wanted everybody else to be a missionary, but he didn't want to go. He thought, God's called me to be a missionary to get others to go. He went to college after college after college, according to history, and nobody would surrender. Nobody. Not one person would surrender. And so he said, fine, maybe in frustration, but he said, fine, I'll go myself. And so he went himself. And so uh, uh, he had people that said this. They, they were Calvinists. And they, they said, well, if God wants them saved, uh, he'll save them. He don't need you. And then with that, he wrote this. Uh, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. In 1792, it was William Carey uh, that went to India himself. He was the first missionary that went to India. Uh, it was William Carey that took a job in managing the indigo uh, plantation uh, so that he could pay 
pay to be able to do the work. He raised no support. Uh, he founded 26 churches, 126 schools, had 10,000 Hindus that was uh, registered in these schools, many of which received Christ as Savior, translated the Bible into 44 different languages, the first dictionary, organized the first uh, medical mission, the first savings bank, the first Bible college, the first newspaper, the first paper mill, the first agricultural experiments was conducted under him, the first printing press, the first steam engine. He did all that, baptized the first Hindu in 1800. Listen to this, started the London Missionary Society of 1795, the Netherlands Missionary Society of 1797, the American Missionary Society of 1810, the American uh, Baptist Missionary Union of 1814, and it all started because somebody sat in the chair. A young man decided, I'm going to go to the mission field. I got tuberculosis. I'm going to die. But I can give God what I've got until I die. And because he did that, God used that to draw many people into God's will. I'm asking you a question. Here it is. I know it's Sunday morning crowd. I got you. I know who you are. Would you be willing to sit in the chair that God has for you? Would you be willing to do whatever God has for you? Would you be willing to be faithful to church? It's hard, preacher! I know the time in which we live. Many distractions. Many distractions. Favorite movie comes on. What is that? Distraction. Football game. Baseball game. Distraction. I got it. I know it. I understand. I can make more money on Sunday than any other day of the week. I got it distraction well my friend said uh, we ought to take a vacation and just skip church and have fun I got it distraction well I just think that I need to spend more time with the family I understand distraction but don't you think there needs to come a time in your life when you realize your time is short and only what you're going to do for Christ will last and you just decide I'm going to fill my role. I'm going to sit in the chair. I'm going to get rid of all the distractions, and I, God, I am going to get true with you. Come on. We have all sorts of people today that chase their little isms and schisms. Well, I think this is important. Nothing is as important than being to surrender to God's will and obeying God's will. Here's my question. Are you willing? Are you willing to be faithful to the things of God? Are you willing to sit in the chair that God has for you? Father, we thank you. For thank you for joining us today. For more audio or video content, you can visit our website at parksidebaptist.org.